0: db i'm danielle joined by brenton hi (laughs) and joining us again today is host of the based on a true story podcast dan lefebvre welcome back dan
1: thanks for having me if you're not aware based on a true story compares history with hollywood's version of history and you break down the film and aim to find out how historically accurate it isn't that right yes so you were on episode six covering schindler's list you were our very first guest on this show and I th- I would like to think that we've improved a fair bit since then. We had some problems with Danielle's microphone on that and the subject matter of Shinla's List. Um, I'll be honest, it wasn't a great episode just because we had so much to learn. It was only episode six. So we'd like to thank you for actually joining us then and joining us now. So welcome back. Thanks very much.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, it was an it was an honor to, to be on before and don't worry, episode six. I mean, we all start somewhere and yeah, I would go back and listen to my early episodes and Any podcaster can tell you it's, you don't want to go back and listen to those early episodes. (laughs) It's it's a journey. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So thanks for joining us for our honorable mention this month as we take the opportunity to talk about a great film that just missed out on being on the IMDb's list of the best movies of all time. This month, rated at 7.8 out of 10 on the internet movie database by millions of film lovers from around the world, is Titanic. Titanic. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet as the two leads, Titanic is a historical drama set on the maiden voyage of the RMS Titanic in April 1912, with opening scenes set likely in 1996. Based on the true events of The Passenger Liner, the fictional story is written, co-produced, co-edited, and directed by James Cameron. James Cameron was also an extra dancing in the steerage uh, sketch artist for Jack's famous drawing and director of photography for the Deep Dives.
1: He was very involved, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, I didn't know he was he was the artist. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it's actually his hands if you I mean not that you could identify the difference between Cameron's hands and, and Leonardo DiCaprio's hand, but as mm. he's sketching, Jack is sketching in the thing it's actually uh, director's hands.
0: I've always wondered who they got to do that. So that's, it's even kind of a niftier little tidbit that it's actually him. Yeah. So that's I cool. find it
1: fascinating to watch that actually, because it's really interesting just to see how he draws. Um, he's very good at it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, he's very talented.
0: <laughs> we actually, Brenton draws, and I used to be a lot more into art. So, I kinda look at it from like the technical perspective. I'm like, he's using negative space really well. <laughs> so it was it was kind of yeah, it was it was interesting and I've always wondered who that was. So that's pretty cool.
1: That's great. I'm very surprised that this isn't in the top two fifty because this was a massive production and it had a massive release. That's why it became the highest grossing movie of all time for several years. I'm very surprised. Um did this get like a bad rap? Did people think it was overrated after time had gone past? What do you guys think? I'm surprised.
0: I don't
2: know. Yeah, I'm with you. I honestly, I am surprised it's not in the the top. I mean, it certainly is in box office earnings, so if you're going that route then, you know, it's certainly near the top it was for a long time like you said, but yeah, I'm surprised.
1: Yeah, and it cleaned up at the Oscars that year. It's currently totally. in tie with Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and Ben-Hur for winning 11 Oscars, which is amazing. Can you imagine watching those Oscars? you just be like, Titanic, <laughs> Titanic, Titanic.
0: <laughs> it is rated surprisingly low, like 7.8 for a movie that did that well. And I like to look at it and think, you know, this is actually, like, this is a great movie. There was, the set design was amazing. The acting was really fantastic, especially considering that this is the role that made Leo big. So he was still pretty new here. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with you, Brenton. I would have thought because people loved this movie. I'm just surprised that it didn't rank higher at the time. People were in love with this movie.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I came to the conclusion about a year ago that I think this is my favorite movie of all time. And that's kind of surprising to me because it wasn't an obvious pick. But every time I watch it, it always drags me in and I'm always engaged in a way that I never thought that I would be. But I really think this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's near perfect and I've written down a list of reasons that we can get into later uh, as to why I think this is so fantastic and why it had such a big hit to the people when they first watched it.
0: I'll be curious to hear what those reasons are later on in the episode. Because yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is done better than some of the other higher-ranking movies we've covered. I think it's a better movie than some of the other higher-ranking movies that we've covered.
2: I guess it goes to show you can't always rely on the rankings for everything.
0: <laughs> this is probably yeah. <laughs> true. These types of movies
1: really fascinate me. The ones that reenact real-life events or real-life disasters, like... For example, um, there was that miniseries that came out this year, Chernobyl. It I won a few Golden Globes, I believe, that just happened. Very popular one. I was so drawn into that because it was such a big disaster. And I would find it so fascinating watching these things that are so unfathomable. You know, every year when 9-11 comes by, I just get drawn into the footage, just being like, I can't believe this is something that happened, you know. So personally, I like these types of movies where they depict real life events so accurately and i think this one does it beautifully
2: yeah i haven't seen chernobyl but um i've had that same sort of effect i did the hindenburg is another massive disaster that ha- that has mm. just every time i see that footage it's it's similar it's yeah it's how can this actually be happening and the fact that for a lot of those it was captured to where we can see it now uh, titanic obviously there's no footage of that but being able to see that, I think that's something that it helps us today realize that these sort of things actually did happen. And there really was, you know, this this type of story actually, there's realism to it. And that, I think, brings another level of depth to the movie.
0: I'm totally yeah. with you. That's one of the same reasons why I absolutely love Saving Private Ryan. I think Spielberg did such an amazing job. Because those kinds of stories, war stories in particular, hold a special place in my heart. Because I think it's really important to accurately honor those people who fought in those wars. So it's almost like we're all talking about how it's so, like, captivating. And I think that's part of human nature. Like, we just... It's something that, honestly, we can't wrap our heads around with just our imaginations. So seeing it depicted so accurately, it kind of fills that curious need that we have that we want to... Try and understand and make sense out of these things that don't make sense. So, having these really fantastic directors who are able to do that in such a visually appealing, sometimes, you know, viscerally uncomfortable way is great because it's showing you exactly what it is that you need to see.
1: Yeah, that's a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. I'd really recommend to anyone listening to this go watch the behind the scenes because it's really interesting to show, like, the extent of the production and how much they actually put into this and the detail and the research and the amount of legwork that Cameron actually did himself. Um, it, I just find that very fascinating Of watching the journey. It's one of the better behind the scenes, just because of the grand scale of it.
0: He had to build his own ship. Like, who yeah, does which that?
1: I, I believe you can go visit. It's like in Mexico. You can oh, go really? visit the actual set. And oh, wow. it was like on this um, big hydraulic tilt so that they could lift it up and drop it and lift it up and drop it. Uh, it's really interesting.
0: And we actually watched the, what was it, Brenton? Titanic 20 years later, where...
1: Yeah, that's a Nat Geo production. It's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, have you seen that? They basically looked back at what the Titanic movie and the production, how much they've learned after 20 years.
2: I ha- I don't know if I have. I've seen some documentaries on it, but I don't know if I've seen that
1: one in particular.
0: It was really interesting.
1: It plays very much like Mythbusters. Oh,
2: okay. okay.
0: So they were looking in particular at, you know... This is the way we conveyed this in the movie. Is this actually accurate based on the new information that we've gathered? Uh Would the ship actually have sunk that way? You know, the fact that they had half the number of lifeboats, did that actually make a huge difference? And the thing that was really super interesting for me was that it actually didn't. They wouldn't have had time to deploy them all in the time that the ship sunk anyway.
1: Yeah, that's true. The time. Yeah, because it took about 30 minutes to get one of these boats lowered in the correct way, in the right rigging, even under stressful conditions, they, we wouldn't have had time to get them all off anyway in the time that they had while the ship was sinking, which I find that very fascinating because it's always been a trait that mm-hmm. like you should have had more on the deck um, and you would have saved more lives, but not necessarily because they just would have been squished on top of each other, which you kind of see in the movie anyway.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure that time, like you said, is in perfect conditions. Not in the chaos of everybody knowing that if you don't get on the ship, you're gonna die. Right? I mean, that's
1: yeah. I was thinking you could probably just unhook them and let the boats float themselves, (laughs) unless there was a certain way that they were rigged down or something. But just do you have to lower them? Just unhook them all, and I don't know.
2: I don't know how if they hit the water would they shatter? I don't know how strong they are. If I mean, that's pretty
1: high up. They are very high up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's why it took so long, because they had to be hand cranked down. And how tall was that ship? It was several stories tall.
1: Oh, I think it was like 50 feet. I think it was what they were testing it at.
0: See, that's another thing to me, and you can probably give us a little bit more insight on this, Dan, is that at the time, like, I still think, I look at this movie, and this, this ship was huge, and it's got nothing on some of the cruise liners that are out there today.
1: Oh yeah, they're like floating cities these days.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, if you think about it, though, they're—I mean, th- they are. You're spending weeks on that ship at any given time. I think the original, um, the original plan for Titanic was roughly around a week. Uh, of course, mm. give or take some time of how you know weather and all that kind of stuff. They're going to f- factor that in. It's mm. not like not down to the minute like a lot of things are today. Um, but yeah, you're spending you're spending a long time on these. Ships, So you're going to expect to have luxuries in there. A Titanic had a swimming pool, which you think of a lot of the cruise ships now have that sort of thing where you're just, what are you going to do when you're locked up on a ship? Yeah. Essentially, you can't go anywhere. You're in the middle of the ocean. So you have to entertain yeah. hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people, depending on the size of the ship and for weeks at a time.
0: I found it interesting, there was a scene where, I think it's a scene where Jack pulls Rose aside to talk to her and this is the point where she's like, I can't see you anymore. Um, and they're actually, they're in a gym. And I thought that's so cool that they they included that in the movie. You see all, all this old-timey, yeah. yeah, sort of sports equipment. I'm like, they don't draw a lot of attention to it, but of course you would have something like that on there. Of course you would.
1: Does it show the pool at all?
0: I don't think it does.
1: I don't
2: remember seeing it in the movie. That's a that's a good question. Next time I watch it, I'm going to have to go back and, and look for the pool specifically now, though.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm. One of the more interesting things that came out of that Nat Geo, apart from learning that they wouldn't have been able to save more if they had more boats, was that they were talking about how much the movie actually led to more interest and research into the event. So they wouldn't have had the funding, for starters, for Cameron himself to do so many dives and for people to be actually be interested in the event more um, if the the movie wasn't there. So it's kind of interesting to see that like, this thing that's just meant to be an art piece that's to entertain ourselves actually leads to research and leads to real interest in the real world, you know what I mean? Um, it's I like seeing that.
2: Yeah, and that's actually yeah, a that's lot cool. more common than you might think. There's a lot of movies yeah. that will... Uh, a JFK is one that comes off top of my head, and, and my research in in that movie is the movie itself was what caused a lot more research into the assassination of of John F. Kennedy. In similar situation where for the most part people just accepted the story that was was given to them until the movie came out, and then it was like, wait a minute.
0: Hmm, I didn't realize for a long time that a lot of the people who were depicted in this movie as the upper class passengers were actually real people until we watched that Nat Geo documentary.
1: I didn't know that Molly Brown was real.
0: I knew she was real, but I thought she was about the only one. So there there were a lot of people who they depicted just in passing, they gave them names, but they happened to be, you know, actual passengers or crew members who actually played, you know, a somewhat integral role in... You know, saving people or not saving people. So I thought that was really interesting that they actually gave a lot of attention to those historical figures. I thought like that was really Like, even if they didn't have any lines
1: or anything, th- they depict them and show them and what their role was. Yeah. And were. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. I thought yeah. that was really cool.
2: Yeah, there were a lot. Uh, you mentioned Molly Brown. Actually, one one thing is a little nugget on that is interesting. She is actually Margaret Brown and she wasn't actually yep. called Molly Brown until a play in uh, 1960 came out called The Unsinkable Molly Brown. And so in the movie they call her Molly, but and that's kind of what we know her as now. But yeah, there's a lot a lot of others. Uh, Bruce Ismay is in there, he was real. Thomas Andrews was real. Of course Captain Smith, the captain in the Titanic was real. Even some of the yeah. uh, small characters, I don't know if they mentioned this in that documentary, but um there's a scene where there's like an elderly couple that's lying on the bed and they're yeah. hugging each other. Yeah, that that was uh Isidore and Ida Strauss, the owners of yes. Macy's in New York. And so I mean that particular scene, they didn't actually die in that way that we of course we don't really know for sure, but what mm-hmm. we do know is that Ida was offered a spot on one of the lifeboats and she turned it down because she wanted to die alongside her husband. And so that was kind of Cameron's way of this is how they may have, have perished. We don't really know exactly you know, how the end was. But um, yeah, there's a lot of little details in there that I was surprised when I saw it too, that yeah, okay, this person's real and this person's real and this person's real. <laughs> I
1: added yeah. a lot in there. I think he was just trying to give them a really nice send-off. Yes. Um, I think there is a deleted scene, if you look, that shows that interaction and does give them some lines and then they go back. Um, but I, I'm kind of glad that he took it out because it's not really necessary. I think that shot says it all.
2: Yeah, that was a beautiful shot.
0: Between Ida and Isidore Strauss. Yeah. 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 Now I'm going on to the more grisly side. Something that, again, the movie doesn't show and we don't really consider. 1,700 people died in this catastrophe. There were people floating in the water all around the site where the ship sunk. Um, They pulled a few remaining survivors out of the water. But I'm just wondering if you've got any insight here, Dan, what happened? Because they talk about, they. I think they recovered some bodies. I know they didn't recover all of them, but I mean, would that have been something that would have happened after the fact is that crew members from the Carpathia or other ships that were part of the rescue effort had to remove all these people from the water?
2: Yeah, I mean, they spent hours searching the water trying to find, it wasn't just the Carpathia, there were others that came as well, but Carpathia was uh, first there. And they tried to. I mean, essentially, I think from the records that I've seen, they were essentially trying to find anybody alive that they could. And you got to think the the water is freezing cold, so there was mm. a time factor in that. And so it's going to sound really morbid, but if there's if there's bodies there and they're already gone, is the time trying to deal with them going to cost somebody else their life? Yeah, and we have mm-hmm. to think that that sort of decision. There's no easy decision. I can't imagine what it must have been like uh, for people on the Carpathia trying to rescue, you know, see this disaster firsthand. Mm. But I would imagine the temperature in the water as well as just trying to find people that were alive was priority over rescuing people that had already passed. That makes sense.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: Once they arrived in New York, there was a throng of people there waiting, essentially trying to find out if their loved ones were some that Mm. had survived. And then the investigation began into what exactly happened and tried to sort all of it out. Mm.
1: I wanted to talk more about the attention of detail that they actually went into. And you break this down really quite thoroughly in your episode covering the Titanic um, when you did a fair bit of research on it. Because you were even talking about, like, the menu and what the foods were (laughs) like and how accurate they were there. Like, they show dinner cutlery and plates exactly as it would be. Um, they recreated the Grand Staircase piece by piece. They really went to really quite a lot of lengths to try and make this as accurate as possible, didn't they?
2: Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, y- you have to, because especially a movie like this, it's going to be a massive movie any way you look at it, just the budget. They may not have known how much they were going to make off the movie, but yeah. it's, it's, massive, it's a massive story, it's a massive disaster and just from doing my podcast I've come across too one thing makes a, a good movie that it's you know based on a true story and everybody adds that extra layer to it like we were talking about earlier. but everybody wants to look into those little details of how much of it did they change, how much of it was accurate to that. you know you, you talk about the menu yeah that they did a, a great job with that. Uh, a big part of that is because we do have some menus that have survived. There were some people that uh, grabbed menus and managed to sneak them off the ship while they were you know, leaving in the lifeboat. Uh, whether or not they did that purposely, uh, that didn't really come across in, in my research. I just know that there were people that did. Uh, but yeah, so we actually have some menus. I think the one that was from the lunch before the sinking sold for like $88,000 recently. Oh, really? Wow. Just the menu, something like that. Yeah. So we ha- we do know a lot about it, especially because of the investigation afterwards that I-, I talked about when they got to New York. There was a massive investigation into what happened, uh, and yeah. there was there were survivors. Not unfortunately, not as many as lives were lost, but there were over seven hundred people that survived, and so you have a lot of accounts. I think one of the biggest challenges both for the investigation, but also you're going to think of it from a filmmaker's perspective too, is it's a scene of pure chaos. And so how much of the accounts can you actually rely on as truth? One, yeah. one instance in the movie that I thought was a really great example of this was Captain Smith. Now in the movie, we see him, he kind of goes back into the bridge and then water starts splashing in around him and he's decided, you know, Captain goes down with the ship. There's, there's multiple reports from survivors about Captain Smith. And the last report, according to the timeline of it, was at about 2.10 a.m., which is about 10 minutes before the last part of the Titanic sank. And that was he was seen going towards the bridge. That was pretty much it. But then other people, mm. other, uh, people actually reported that they saw him jumping off of the ship. And then other people still claimed that they saw him helping a child onto one of the lifeboats and then a wave came and knocked him off. So there's multiple claims hmm. about what actually happened to him. We don't, we'll never know what actually happened. And so I think in instances like that, you got to think of it from a filmmaker's perspective. How do you, what do you do? <laughs>
1: you know, there's, yeah. there's What's multiple going perspectives. to make the
0: best like visual storytelling kind of thing. See,
1: I think those sort of inaccuracies are completely forgivable. Um, Was there anything that was like blatantly obvious that they changed that you probably think that they shouldn't have, or or was it all pretty reasonable sort of stuff?
2: I mean, other than the entire fictional storyline of Jack and Rose. The (laughs) characters. I mean, the the backdrop for it I thought was pretty good. It was as accurate as you could be probably knowing that the main storyline of the film, the love story, is is all fictional. And so you have to fit those characters Mm. in. And so yep. there's going to be things that are made up in order to fit those in. Uh, it, end of the day, it's, it's not a documentary. It is, uh, you know, for entertainment. But yeah, um, they did a really good job, I thought, overall for the storyline.
1: Was that where that cliche comes about where you, like, got one day left of retirement and then you die sort of thing? You see these in old, like, cop movies and things. Do you think it sparked around because of The Captain? Because that was his very last one after 26 years with White Star Line.
2: That's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned it, but it wouldn't surprise me. Things like that yeah. I mean, they gotta start somewhere.
0: That was the first trope, yeah.
2: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me.
0: So I have a question too that just popped in my head. The heart of the ocean was a real diamond, was it not? No. Oh no, it wasn't. Okay. It was
1: inspired by real Right. Okay. All yeah.
0: right, so that particular diamond never existed, but perhaps there was right. a huge gemstone that was recut and sold that belonged to right. The it French was kind
2: King. of based on the Hope Diamond, which is a real diamond, but the Heart of the Ocean itself was is, is fictional and and made up. Again, that's another part gotcha. where they kind of have to fit in these characters, and they'll give some because they talk about uh, Louis the Sixteenth, I believe, owning the diamond in mm-hmm, the movie, mm-hmm. and he did own the Hope Diamond. And so things like that of we're going to fit these in and make them seem close enough to real
0: Reasonable. in order to mm. make this
2: fictional character fit in. And so if you can get aside from that, I kind of see the movie as, as two sides. You have that love story with Jack and Rose, and then you're going to have the backdrop of the sinking of the Titanic and that side there. I thought they did a pretty good job knowing that, of course, yeah, you're going to have to fit in those fictional characters.
1: Yeah. Mm. I thought it was really quite brilliant that Cameron was able to write the story and the characters in such a way to highlight so many things about the ship, particularly the class systems. You've got them on two different classes, the reasons for people to travel. They both have different reasons for traveling. They they depict that really well in the people that they interact with. They show all all levels of the ship, uh, including the boilers. They go down there. They sort of go pretty much everywhere except the pool. <laughs> um, <laughs> Even Rose getting off twice sort of shows how people got off in different ways. And then in showing how it was, and it shows many aspects of the movie rather than just going on a linear timeline and only showing one way. Because there's so many people that had so many different experiences, he's written it in a very beautiful way that sort of links a few of them together so you can see many different outcomes, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. You have to think, so Titanic, everybody had different reasons for being on the ship. And like you like you said, that's going to amount to each of those people are going to have their own story. Uh, for some people, it was just a way to get to America. And mm. John Jacob Astor IV and his wife, Madeline Force. So she was pregnant. And so their reason for going to America was they wanted their baby to be born in America. Uh, unfortunately, he he perished. He was the richest man on the ship at the time and he perished on the ship. She survived and the baby was born a few months later, but you have that. And then you have some people that yeah just want to go to America. And then end of the day too, RMS Royal mail ship, Titanic was a mail ship. So carrying a ton of mail too. So there were a lot of different things going on on Titanic that it's going to be tough to weave all those stories together. So I can see why they would make yeah. up a fictional one that, okay, we're going to focus on this and then have just a few little tidbits of the real ones, because otherwise you're going to have to have bigger ensemble cast and it just starts to get really, really confusing.
0: And complicated. That's where I think some of these miniseries are doing a great job of taking these bigger stories and fleshing them out a little bit better. They've really become more of a thing, I think, in the last 10 years.
2: Yeah, I think streaming services have helped a lot with that.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I was just going to say a side note that I was recently listening to your episode on Catch Me If You Can, uh-huh. which was a movie from 2002, I think it was, and you were basically explaining like how much this guy actually did, and they actually cut quite a lot of truth out of that to fit it into a movie, and I think that would have done a lot better today as a miniseries, because Frank Abagnale's story <laughs> is actually an incredible one. Um, and I think that's kind of a, an exception because usually you have to pad these things out to make a movie. But um, yeah, it would have been better as a as a mini series. And I think if it were done today, it would be. Yeah. Just have we covered that <laughs> one? No, it, it's a it's about two hundred. I love that movie. I think it should be. People higher, should but,
0: watch it. It was really good. It was really yeah. good.
2: It was a good movie, and I do think it would be a great mini series. He he did so many things. The other side of that is he did so many things that. A lot of people might not even believe it, <laughs> yeah, even if yeah. it's true. Exactly. Like, yeah, as if he did
1: all of this.
0: <laughs> so this movie, we were talking about it a little bit more in the beginning. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's got an amazing score, makes me cry every time. I was like, I'm not going to cry this time, and it happened anyway. You see a lot of um, growth in the characters, so we're talking about that love story between Jack and Rose, I think one of the main pivotal points in this movie is we see Rose over the course of the movie becoming more and more independent. And that's actually, really interestingly to me, one of the the things that made this movie such a success and why people in 1996 wanted to go back and watch it over and over again, they said it was because they really wanted to see, watch Rose's story again. Mm-hmm. I mean that's not the main message I would take out of this, but I mean, interesting enough.
1: Well, I think there's a like a, a normal movie if it had one or two of these elements to keep pulling you back, that makes it successful. But I think this one had like ten of so things many. that made yeah. you want to keep going and that's why it was such a success. So I think the fact that it's based on a famous disaster, That's one, for starters, and we were talking about that. You've got the love story between people, um, between classes that can't really see each other. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet story there. Uh, You've got two very good-looking, young, upcoming heartthrobs, Kate and Leo. Uh, A lot of people kept coming back to see Leo as well. Um, Mm -hmm. There was girls that just kept coming every (laughs) weekend. This movie made like $200 every weekend for months on end. People just kept seeing it over and over again. You've got a story that's actually told in retrospect. So you've got a good use of narrator there. You're not trying to say that these are the events. You've got a reason to have a narrator talking about these things and how you were feeling and what does it look like, what does it smell like. Um, but it's
0: also not overdone, like, at yeah. all. Yeah,
1: like, like, you were talking about the character arc. I think that that's it makes sense to go on this character mm-hmm. arc. It's not unbelievable at all. Like I said before, you're using all aspects of the ship and what it contained. You're showing it a story that's both relatable and romantic. It's kind of like this fantasy story about like this this dream guy that you sort of just run into and you can't really be with sort of thing. Uh, it's got conflict and resolution while also showing it very accurately, what happened, as well as you know all the things that it won the Oscars for. You're talking about the great music, the writing. So I think all of those things compiled on top of each other just makes for an epic movie that wasn't beat for so many years Uh, And it still hasn't been beat in Oscar count.
0: I'm just sitting here and I'm like shaking my head because I'm like, good job, Mr. Cameron. I can't believe you did all that, (laughs) you know?
2: Yeah, it is quite, quite a feat. I kind of see it as almost a Romeo and Juliet type style. You're talking about with the different classes and, you know, you can't be with this person and you have that sort of a throw between Jack and Rose. Uh, And then there's also something else too, just, The luxury of it. You think of how Mm, many. um, I think you know. I just recently watched the Downton Abbey movie, and there's a huge draw to that time period, right around the turn of the century. Just you know, a luxury. Just what was it like living in that sort of a luxurious thing? And granted, not everybody Mm. on the Titanic was in such luxury, but there were plenty that were, and you get to see that and see it in full color and just be there. And I think that, for me, that was a, a huge part of it, just being able to see what it must have been like to be on board the Titanic. That was a, a massive part of it, too.
0: Yeah, mm. I remember turning to Brenton and saying, I want to have an experience like that just once, you know what I mean, with that much, you know... The luxury,
1: not the yes. sinking.
0: <laughs> not the sinking, no. I, I can do without oh. the sinking. But just <laughs> the, the fine china and the having people waiting on you like that and stuff yeah yeah and the dressing up and everything it'd be amazing
1: yes and there's so so many scenes of this have now become iconic so it's sort of Mm. imprinted in our minds as titanic you know you've got the i'm the king of the world speech at the beginning of the of the ship
0: and the i'm flying jack i'm flying
1: (laughs) yeah which has, you know, been recreated millions of times since then. Yes. Um, you've got the dancing in the lower classes. I think that's a really cool scene to see mm. that these people are poor but they're still happy. Um, big party some say and more so than the rich people. Yeah. Um, you've obviously got the sex scene in the car. That's a very iconic one. You've got the drawing of Kate in the nude scene, uh, and then Jack sacrifices himself for Rose, on the big door at the end is also very iconic now. So you've got several things here that you can always call attention to and say that that is Titanic, you know what I mean? It's really unfathomable how big this movie was and how much it's been imprinted in pop culture and history.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of scenes in there that have been redone in various forms or reinterpreted Parody in other either. movies or parodied. Yeah. Or, yeah, 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 for sure.
1: I was looking into it. The um, It cost more money to make this movie than it did to build a ship.
0: Oh, wow. Which is
1: really kind of interesting. It made more money than the richest person that was on the ship. Yes. Yeah. And the movie, I believe, is longer than it took for the sinking of the ship.
2: Yeah. Actually, the way it was edited, and I'm sure this was not an accident, uh, the time it took for Titanic to sink, two hours and 40 minutes from the beginning to the end, was the time from when... In the movie, Titanic left Queenstown for the very last time and left across Atlantic until it actually sank in the movie. So there's little things like that, too. And I think that's another part of it, too, when you have that level of detail that people start picking those. I mean, that's not something you're going to see in the movie the first time. I mean, you do, but you're not really going to know until you go back and be like, hey, wait a minute, if I time this somebody yeah. out there had the had the time to sit down and, and time that and figure that out and it's little details like that that i think are really cool when they throw those little things yeah. in there that's you wouldn't really know otherwise until somebody has the time to sit down Points and do that it out to and you. then i'll just look it up on the internet later on i'm not going to sit there and do, figure that out but
1: yeah <laughs> well it makes it more relatable like yes. you, you say two hours and 40 minutes i'm like i can't really imagine that but oh i just sat through a movie that was exactly this length yes that's how i can imagine these people's experience
2: that's a good mm. point that's a good point yeah from the beginning to the mr. end mr
0: cameron i applaud you <laughs>
2: yes have you guys seen the video on youtube where somebody did the sinking of the titanic in real time
1: no no i have to look for that it's is it, it like an animation yeah
2: it's an animation. But it is hitting the iceberg and then, you know, half of it breaking off and it's in real time, this is, this is what it was. And it is, you know, it's, it's two hours and 40 minutes long. It's the, it's the the whole thing. So it's not fast by any means, but it's also mm. incredibly fast when you think about what is going on. And of course they don't have and all, the, all the people on the ship and all that. And it does, it's just the ship itself, you know, so it's a pretty simple animation as far as that, but. It does give a pretty good indication of as you sit through there. I actually sat through the whole thing and and watched it, and it's like wow, it kind of helps hit home a little bit more for me at least to mm-hmm. kind of see that and realize that time that you've been sitting there watching that, yeah, is what really happened.
0: We'll have to take a look for that, because so I'd also be curious to see like if the animation of the syncing is based on you know the most accurate simulations to date.
2: It was at the time. I think it's a few years old by now, so I don't know if there's mm-hmm. been updates since then, but it was at the time. It was a pre- I don't remember exactly who did it, but it was a pretty reputable... I don't think it was History Channel, but it was something along Somebody those like lines. Like it it might have been Nat yeah. GM, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I was just going to say... I don't know why she drops the diamond in the ocean at the end. It always really annoys me. It always has. Because she's kept this thing for 84 years. It's worth millions. It apparently was owned by King Louis. And she just throws it in the ocean at the end of it. And what it's going to drift. Of that?
0: It's not going to fall straight down. You know, it's going <laughs> well, to go she all over the place.
1: She was aiming for anything. I think she just wanted to. I don't know. Give her heart back to Jack or some cliche thing. I I don't know. That that's yeah. always annoyed me. Why do you guys think that she does that?
2: I always assumed I the name was in the name of the necklace. Her heart is in the ocean with Jack, and so I just assumed that it was she's letting her heart rest essentially.
1: Yeah. Okay. Out there. she's had the opportunity to actually come back out to this spot. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: I mean, I like that. I might be wrong, but that's the way I always took it.
0: Yeah. Because that would have been her first opportunity to come back to that place she wouldn't have been back there since then
1: Mm. right right when we did an episode on the green mile a few months ago i realized that it has a very similar ending to this because it shows an old person who's telling the story in retrospect and then at the end it goes back to what they actually are today and Mm -hmm. it shows that she really lived a full life because she was talking to jack about how all these, she wants to go do all these things, she wants to ride along the beach at Santa Monica, um, and she wants to really have a really fulfilled life. And that was the promise that she gave to to Jack when she was on the boat. I just see the parallels there, where she actually went out and did these things. And it really hits home at the end there to see that she actually did these things. She made use of her life, and you sort of see that at the end of Green Mile as well. I, I think that's a very good way to end the movie because Mm. she didn't waste her life.
0: And it gives you that kind of warm and fuzzy feeling that you're probably really needing at the end of this very tragic movie.
1: I think that's a tear-jerking moment as well, when it pans over all these pictures that she's brought with her all this way, Mm. and you can see all the things that she's done. Um, I think that's really done well.
2: Yeah, I I think so too. I think it's a great way of closing that circle where Jack essentially, some would say gave up his life for her, so that she could go live her life, and she did that.
1: Yeah. I love seeing the shots when it cuts back and forth between 1997 and 1912, when, particularly at the beginning when you first see the ship, and you see it a few times throughout, but I, I really quite like those shots.
0: That was such a cool scene too, and I wanted to add the shot at the beginning when you're going from the wreck to the frontal shot of the ship was done really well. That was a really cool transition, I heard in some interviews, you know, a lot of people started applauding in the theaters at that moment. <laughs> but the computer generated imagery in this movie was actually, I thought it was really good for the time. And I think it's not bad. That could be attributed to the fact that, like, a lot of it's under the water. So the lighting is kind of, yeah, ideal. So you're not highlighting, you know, the flaws in the technology at the time. But I thought, like, it's aged really well. I think.
2: Yeah, well, James Cameron is known for being pushing the envelope when it comes to technology. You think of what he's Mm, done with Avatar and and such. So I don't think that we've got to come to expect that from him, from his movies. Mm. And I think even before Titanic, you know, he had done, you know, with Terminator and such being pushing the envelope as far as technology is concerned. I think he's got a pretty good way of merging technology. whatever the cutting-edge technology is at the time, pushing that envelope in order to tell his stories.
1: It's interesting you say that because in about three days, we have an episode releasing covering Terminator 2, which is obviously James Cameron, and um, the T-1000 in that is a liquid metal, and I think the graphics on that liquid metal isn't bad for 1991, Um, and we were talking about how he's always pushing forward technology and trying to get the most out of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, considering
2: it's 1991, yeah, it's not bad.
0: I just remember my my least favorite CG moment is the first Quidditch match in the first Harry Potter movie. It's just abysmal, and I always wish they'd go back and fix it. Yeah, they didn't really <laughs> have the budget back then. Yeah. It was the first one. Give yeah. them a break,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> Even for the 3D version of Titanic when they re-released it, and I think it was in 2010, they fixed the night sky so that the constellations were the exact same place as they would have been that night. Oh, wow. I didn't that, get to see that. That's a crazy yeah. amount of detail. Yeah, that is. It's pretty cool. Did they actually raise any part of the ship? I thought that I remember seeing something on the news years ago that they raise, or am I just thinking of something else?
0: Like the actual ship
1: parts of it obviously not the whole thing the thing would just fall apart but I thought that they had raised a big section of it
2: not to my knowledge a major section I know they've pulled things from it they've retrieved things from it Um, I don't know I mean I'm sure that varying sizes and and things things. like that but uh, to my knowledge I don't know that they've actually raised I think a big reason is for what you said it's just gonna fall apart
1: yeah it's best to leave it where it is yeah.
0: Like that structural integrity has lasted this long. We'll just let it do its thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is deteriorating. It, there's also videos out there where you can see where from the first time it was found in 1985, when it was found for the first time, and then to now, some of the video footage or pictures over the time, you can see it is deteriorating quite a bit.
1: Hmm.
0: So hopefully they'll just do their best. I mean, and James Cameron seems to have been doing that already to go do dives and record the wreckage and you know keep that as a digital record for future generations and that's all we can really hope for and work with
1: yeah he said in that documentary he's done about 35 dives down to the site and back (laughs) again yeah he seems to be a bit obsessed
0: (laughs) yeah he's really fallen in love with it hey yeah
1: Yeah, it seems like he's always diving out there (laughs) well thanks very much for joining us this week Dan
2: yeah thanks for having me
1: your insight is always valuable
2: I appreciate that
1: and I'd highly recommend going to check out Based on a True Story if you're really interested in comparing history with Hollywood's version of history.
0: Yeah, Dan does a great job and he's a huge wealth of knowledge.
2: I appreciate that and appreciate you having me on.
0: Thanks for, thanks for being here. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Check us out on all the socials. We're most active on Instagram. Um, you can comment on SoundCloud or support us on Patreon. We've got every episode uncut, unedited, and a week earlier than usual, as well as bonus episodes every month and polls voting on what you want to hear over on the We Are DB Patreon. And until next week, thanks for listening.
1: I was just going to ask before we got onto this um mm-hmm. as someone who's in the middle of america have you been hearing about the australian forest fires has that reached you guys
2: oh yes oh yes It, i mean not nearly as much as it has you guys i'm sure <laughs> but yes yeah yeah where Where are you guys at in relation
1: to that i was going to ask we're just a little bit north so it, it's a bit smoky we're
0: in oh, brisbane wow. yeah yeah
2: yeah it we i mean just seeing things in news and pictures and it just seems unreal
0: the crazy thing for us is that this all actually started in earnest in about November. So
1: it- no, it was like September. That was November when it got serious. Mm.
0: Yeah, so it's just interesting that it's taken this long for the world to catch on. That's, but yeah,
2: it's so it's been going on mm. for months and months and months. To I mean, November that has been this level already
0: in different areas. So it was it was pretty bad like this and. It's really, really bad because in New South Wales, like, you probably saw some of the shots of the Sydney Harbor just filled with smoke, like, because it was so close to affecting Sydney is when everything kind of went, ah.
2: Oh, okay. When, once it hits the, the big cities,
0: the world starts That's to when notice. it goes international, yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Wow.